Welcome to Guariwarmi, a podcast by and for the queer BIPOC community to be unapologetically themselves. Our identities are complex. None of us fit neatly into a single category. We're here to share parts of our lives, identities, and discuss current events. Hi, Kimmy. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, can we start with your name and your pronouns? Yeah, my name is Kim Din Tran, but I go by Kimmy, um, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. Um, do you want to talk a little bit how, about how we know each other? <laughs> um, I, uh, I was swiping one day. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Parental um, advisory. <laughs> um, no, I actually met Mariana through rugby, um, it's really interesting. I, I think it, it definitely was my first season with the surfers. Um, and we were just, I think that was your first WPL season. Um, if I'm correct. And we, and that was my first season with the surfers. So I was, we were just kind of there. But we met, each other. didn't we meet at Lindsay and Devon's? Cause you were staying there with them for a little bit. No, that I, I stayed there after the season. Oh, yeah, so I didn't stay with them until, like, November. Oh, that's so weird. I feel like that's what I remember, like, you, like, meeting you. No. Yeah, it was... <laughs> no, it was, no, you're wrong. <laughs> it, was de- it was definitely rugby season, um, and, you know, we were new to the team, so we were just playing as, like, subs and filling into those positions. Um, and, me- I mean, at the time, we weren't too close, but... And it's, it's actually really funny, because I'm always... I'm, like how did we get so close? (laughs) And I just, I don't, I don't really remember. It just happened so naturally. Yeah. I know. We're like best friends. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I guess guess some would say. (laughs) Cool. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'm going to just go into these questions. Yeah. Um, How do you identify yourself? Um, as a human being, um, <laughs> um, I identify as Vietnamese and black, cisgender, femme presenting, bisexual, um, first gen. Um, yeah, that's, I feel like, I feel like that question, I'm always like, I feel like I'm checking off the boxes. Like, yeah. yep, that one. Yep, that one. And every time I check off a box, I I feel like I'm just I'm just checking off how much privilege I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, All yes. Okay, take take it away. Take it away. Oppress me some more. But <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I, I can relate. Um, but it, we also have to remember the privilege that we do have even though absolutely i i am fully aware of the privilege that i do have um even even in this the world that we live in yeah um, (laughs) i i am i'm fully aware of that but it's there's still a lot of that's it's going against me yeah yeah i hear that um can you tell us about where you grew up um, okay, so I was born and raised in East Hartford, Connecticut, um, and I went to school in East Hartford for most of, you know, n- until eighth grade, and I transferred schools to a magnet school in Hartford, Connecticut, um, and, and it was inner city, the magnet school was so uh, focused on, um, social justice it was predominantly black hispanic um and it geared towards getting students inner city students of color um to go to college so i attribute a lot of that to you know who i am um but with that i also you know grew up very much in the vietnamese community there um so yeah multicultural esque all around yeah can you talk a little bit about um growing up in a vietnamese household (laughs) 
Oh, yikes. <laughs> or not. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no, it's great. Good things, good things. Um, so my both of my parents are Vietnamese, but my mom is half black. Um, but, you know, she grew up in Vietnam. And, you know, to go into that story, my mom is... Um, or was is the child was the ch a child of the Vietnam War, um, and born to a Amer African American sol American soldier, um, but you know times were different then, and my grandmother ended up raising my mom um, in Vietnam. Um, so growing up here, being first gen here, my parents that's the culture they raised us in. Um, you know, we were, we practiced Buddhism growing up um, and just very traditional way of life, Vietnamese-wise. Um, and it, it, it was hard growing up in that because, you know, also at the time my parents didn't speak English well. So my siblings and I are you know, young and translating these things for our parents as best as we can. Um, and it was, and, and, and knowing that there, I, I can recall feeling like it's, un, it's very unfortunate, but feeling ashamed or guilty that my parents had such a thick accent or I'm the one sitting there having to explain to them what my grade my grades were or um parent teacher conference and stuff like that or even having or seeing my friends have their parents come in and volunteer and my parents can't because they wouldn't know what they're doing mm -hmm. or or they can't because they're working multiple jobs and so there was it was very as I got older and as my siblings and I got older, we, you know, we learn from that. Um, but we also always knew that we were part black. And to not have grown up in that community and that culture and to, to know that we're fully, we're not fully Vietnamese and to know that we are different, there is just always a space of like limbo, okay, really. Nice. Yes, otherness, um, and and not feeling enough really. Like by the time we got older and you know put ourselves in in the community in the black community, so that we you know we are we do feel more comfortable. It's still like I'm not black enough, or I'm not Vietnamese enough because and you know colorism's a thing and um just yeah feeling ostracized sometimes can you talk a little bit about colorism in in, in the u.s and in vietnam like how you've experienced that yeah um so okay so i'll, I'll speak to the vietnamese culture first um so growing up my mom is Okay, if it, you know, if we're talking about, like, typical Vietnamese person, they're usually more fair skin, petite, you know, um, they don't have curly hair, you know, and all those very typical things. And that is the complete opposite of who I am and who, like, my mom is and my siblings. Um, so to... You know, going back to we, my fam as a family, we've gone back to Vietnam um, multiple times, and just every time, it's we get the stares of like, oh, like they're they're you know they're 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 the Americans, they're not Vietnamese, and or even when I was there, you know, me as someone who speaks fluent Vietnamese, and to just I could just be walking down the street and to hear people say like oh, like, oh, she must be Thai or she must be Malaysian or she must be, like, Cambodian or, you know, an, of a, a different ethnic background. 
and for me to like turn around and speak full Vietnamese to them and they're just like completely shocked that and then and then you know they apologize or you know and so um I and that's you know one thing and it's another for for me for us to have such dark skin and to the, for them to be like oh stay out of the sun you're gonna get so much darker or like put on some layers so that when we go out like you don't tan so much or or why are you so dark or why are you so black you know and you know in Viet in the Vietnamese culture you know whitening creams are in everywhere and I can remember growing up with my cousins and they were almost just as dark as me and that you know for the most part they've used I'm assuming right because they are much lighter than I am now um so it's just culturally and and seeing like and and it goes back to like those who are darker are out in the fields and those who are lighter are in the house kind of thing and just to know like culturally that's still so prevalent and embedded in in the beliefs of beauty and worth and value kind of sucks yeah. um you know it, it, it goes to the point of like when i i have older parents or not older parents older relatives or friends of parents um and they refer to me they and i'm not there you know me living across the country now they'll be like oh where's the black one you know and it, it's just it sucks or to hear mm -hmm. like to hear in conversations about my mom and they'd be like even though she's obviously referring to her being black, you know, um, even though she's ugly, you know, she's she has a good heart, you know, she's a good person. And and it doesn't matter how good of a person my mom is. It's it goes back to like the color of her skin to define her worth. Mm -hmm. Um. So growing up to hear these messages mm -hmm. and to question like why, why not knowing how to respond and then getting to the point where I was old enough to say like, okay, well, well, black is beautiful. Like I can't do anything about the fact that I am part black and the fact that I am dark skin. Um, but, and like, I, I know I'm much darker in the summer and I am less Vietnamese presenting and in the winter and when I'm let I'm less tan and lighter you know I'm more Asian presenting more Vietnamese presenting um but it's it's also very hard for me here because I it goes back to the feeling of not being black enough mm -hmm. right so I I, when I'm dark, I can pass off or some people can see me as a black woman. And when I'm light, it's like, oh, she's Asian. Mm. And, and, and it's either I'm one or the other. It's, I'm never like a whole, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, to not feel like when I speak on my black experiences, for people to sometimes not validate that because they're like, you're not black. And mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, I am. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you think of at like what, what moment in your life, um, did you start shifting away from like being quite so self-conscious, um, about the darkness of your skin and more empowered or is there anyone that you looked up to that you saw or that you heard, you know, speak about it differently? Yeah. Um, I, it's very hard, right? Like, oh, damn, how do I, how do I go about that? Um, it's very hard because 
I, I can't even, I can't even say like, I can't even forget that or ignore the fact that I'm black because I'm reminded from the, the Asian Vietnamese community that I am black. Um, so it wasn't probably wasn't until I was in high school, college where I, I really started to own that, um, in, in acknowledging and being proud of being black. Um, and I attribute a lot of that, not to one person, um, but to the, the, the community and the space that I was in in high school, being around, you know, majority black, Hispanic students and teachers. Um, but I had one teacher who I, I, I call her mommy, at, you know, and mommy Smith, um, and she she always told me like it doesn't matter what people f- feel or think of you like you're a black woman like I knew you were black since the day I met you like there's no doubting that um, so you need to be proud of that um, so you know anytime I get any doubt of who I am I kind of hear that voice in the back of my head. Um, you know, because I unfortunately didn't really get that from my mom. Mm. Um, and it, again, it's not her fault. She didn't grow up feeling comfortable, you know, maybe feeling comfortable in her skin and being proud of that. But, um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> is there maybe one thing or maybe a couple things that you can share that are like your favorite things about the Vietnamese culture that you've grown up in? Yeah. Um, the food. <laughs> it is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you had my cooking and, um, it's just so rich in flavor and herbs and it's so refreshing. Um, and, you know, very much like many other communities and cultures, we gather around food. Um, so I'm just, that's definitely something that I take with me and I want to, you know, keep learning, keep sharing because that's that's how I show love. That's how my family show love. Um, so, yeah, there's that and respect. Mm. Um, you know, for, for my siblings and I, we, we don't call each other by our names. Um, or at least the younger siblings don't call each other, by the younger siblings don't call the older siblings by their names. We call them by their like rank, Mm. so to speak, like someone older can call you like someone younger by their name. Um, but you can't call someone older by their name because it's a sign of disrespect so like all my siblings we call my oldest sister Jihai and then I call my brother and I call my second sister Jiba and then my brother calls me Jito right and and he's the youngest so um and it's just it we I value that respect so much um so yeah there's that um yeah, I think those were would be the the main two. Cool. That's no, those are great. The foods definitely. <laughs> what about you? Uh, about my culture? Yeah. Mm. Um, the food is also fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I like, yeah, Peruvian food's definitely my absolute favorite. It's also, like, very nostalgic for me, because I actually, like, grew up there till I was 11. Yeah. So it just, um, yeah, it warms my heart <laughs> to even think back, like, I feel like there, I have some specific memories in relation to specific foods. Uh-huh. Uh, or, like, places. So that's really nice. And... I think the way that we grow up in Peru is, uh, like, you know, here there's so many schools. The country's so large. Like, 
people someone that you went to preschool with like you might never see again or you know you'll go up to fifth grade and then you'll split into different schools or whatever and in peru it's really like most people live in the city and in one area and like you stay there forever <laughs> so you grow up with the same people your entire life and so that your friends that you make when you were in kindergarten are literally like your best friends when you graduate high school um, yeah and that is and like their parents are like your aunties and your uncles and like your family and um yeah i think i i miss like those really close-knit relationships that you build with people because you've known them forever um and the i guess the accountability that comes with that <laughs> um yeah like your parents are good friends and and there's just close beautiful relationships yeah um it's funny that you say that because you know a lot of um you know my my a lot of the vietnamese people who have come here within the recent years or you know elders who their family had like you know brought them over they talk about how lonely it is here mm. and like even if you have like your family they talk about how lonely it is like community wise and they they say you know back home i could sit on my porch and i can go walk out in the neighborhood and, and i know everyone and everyone knows me and they have that sense of community whereas like here everyone's in their own house yep everyone's to themselves and no one really is interested in getting to know you yeah. um Or, or if those who do, they don't live close enough for you to just walk over to say, hey, yeah. I, you know, I just cooked this and I wanted to share it with you. And yeah. again, around food again, in Peru, you go, <laughs> there's like, ba no, there's like bakeries, like in every corner, ba basically. And like, you don't buy, you know, a loaf of bread at the grocery store every week or two. You go get your fresh bread every morning. <laughs> And yeah. so you see the same, like, your neighbors, like, the people that work there, and you build those, like, relationships. Um, so, yeah, I totally hear that. It's It makes sense. My, I feel like my dad has, because he still, like, he speaks very little English, um, I think he's the one that's kind of suffered the most. And he was also, like, 50 when he came here, so he had his mm -hmm. whole life um, back in Peru. But... Um, Yeah, I I can see that he hasn't been able to build like very many friendships and relationships, and it makes me sad. Obviously, that's a giant sacrifice he made, um, but it does make me sad that he doesn't have that. He doesn't have his siblings. He doesn't have his cousins. He doesn't have uh -huh. you know, a giant extended family and and friends that he's had his entire life. Um, yeah, it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so do you want to talk about interracial relationships? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, wow. I sure don't. <laughs> next. <laughs> Thank you, next. Um, I have always... You want. <laughs> um, I have always been in an interracial relationship. I think... I don't even know where, like, you're attracted to who you're attracted to. I mean, um, but that was a very difficult point or conversation to have with my parents, even though my mom is biracial and my dad is in an interracial relationship. Um, I, I think sometimes they don't see it as that because she was raised in the Vietnamese culture um but you know my first boyfriend was black my second boyfriend was Puerto Rican and black and then my girlfriend my my ex-girlfriend was Mexican and then my current girlfriend is um Italian and black so and you know and it, not just me my siblings right my my sister has um Her boyfriend's black, and then the other sister, her fiance's white. So, you know, our family is, we, or I was some my siblings, we 
we love love and it you know that doesn't really matter to us but to our parents it was very difficult for them to have these conversations with, with us because you know like I said even though my mom is half black it was like well you sure you don't want to date someone Vietnamese you you know whatever it is um and and they have their own biases against you know anyone of a different ethnic background and not necessarily for it to be negative it's just based on life experiences you know like who can say they don't have a bi a bias for for someone or you know but um it took a while for for them to be open to having those conversations um but i think my siblings and i were very um <laughs> open and honest and straightforward with them about a lot of it that they you know they knew that if they didn't think of our happiness that you know it wouldn't really work out in their favor in the end um but you know interracial relationships comes with their own struggles um of understanding each other's cultures and backgrounds and values um yeah do you feel like you've ever had that uh a, a cultural clash within a rela- a relationship because of those like maybe there's some values that weren't shared um i wouldn't say cultural clashes um because you know every person that i dated was very open to that um i think i think in each of them in their own you know realm um there was a there's always a conversation of privilege right and and how how is it that we can come to understand our partners experiences if they do experience and have the privilege or if they don't um and and you know these are very difficult conversations to have in general um so for it to be had i think is very um much needed to move forward in your relationship with someone especially if you're taking it seriously because we kind of have to be on the same page with these things um but it's how can we have these conversations that might cause a little friction in this you know this happy go lucky relationship that you have um to then come to the bottom of how can, we can support each other in in this have you yeah. have you dated anyone that whose parents had a harder time accepting and i guess we can also obviously dive into queer relationships because i feel like a lot of that is definitely like you can't really tear it apart sometimes yeah um Um, wait but hold on finish your question because so have you have you ever been on the other side of it where like your partners uh had a hard harder time with uh interracial relationships Usually, in my experience, from what I've seen, it's the parents that have a mm-hmm. hard time with it, and like kind of pushing down that 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 ideology. Um, yeah. Or or even having to deal with, um, you know, even if if your partner doesn't internal or I don't want to say doesn't internalize that, but if they don't believe what their parents believe, but it still really affects them negatively in how their like parents are <laughs> approaching. Yeah. Um, yes. My answer is yes. I have experienced that. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, you know, the parents are very, they love you for who you are. And I say this to, you know, anyone, you may have someone who loves you for who you are, but they not, they may not love you for what you love or what you believe in if that makes sense. Can you give me an example? <laughs> like, they can love me because uh, I'm, you know, I'm me. 
as a person, but they might not love me in a relationship with their daughter. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I've, I have experienced that before multiple times. Um, and I think when it comes down to why they may not agree with the relationship, um, often comes with the root or the, the premise of religion. Mm. And these families or these parents, um, may have such a strong faith system where they believe that, you know, it's not right for anyone to be in a homosexual relationship. Um, for then that to come off sometimes when I'm there. Um, or, may, you know, it may, that belief may have been internalized by my partner, whichever partner it was, um, and then how they interact with me around their family. You know, and, and that's a whole nother journey of, of what that feels like to be on the receiving end of it. Mm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how that feels? Are they crappy? <laughs> <laughs> um, it feels like I'm walking on eggshells sometimes. Mm. Or, or I'm just kind of there. Mm. Like, what? they acknowledge that I'm there. They know that I'm there. They know that I'm in a relationship with, you know, their child and... It's in my, my previous relationship or, um, you know, current, I'm generalizing it, right? Like, it just sometimes feels like I'm walking on eggshells to, to best describe it. Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing for them to say, like, oh, like, no, like, don't come back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I can't, I have to see if I can show affection in in front of them, if I can hold their hand, if I can kiss them, if I can do whatever it is and to not feel like I can be my complete self, it sucks. Yeah, um, I hear that. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences like that too. It's hard. I, I've always internalized it. And I think mainly like looking back not in the moment. I mean, definitely in the moment feeling like something's not right. But then being able to look back and be like, wow, that was so messed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, how much of that did I put on myself as, as like, what's wrong with me? And, mm -hmm. and kind of like you were saying about your mom, right? Like, it doesn't matter how good of a person she is. There's always going to be like this character flaw that is your queerness or. Yeah. 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 Um, can you tell us a little bit of, like, your your LGBTQ <laughs> journey? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> your journey. Tell me about your life. Ooh. Um, wow. All the secrets are coming out, huh? Right. Um, um, no, I'm more than willing. I. It's funny because I... I just think back and I'm like, I knew at a very young age that I was attracted to uh, females. Um, but then, you know, let's, let's talk about culturally, like what is constantly being told of you of what a relationship is uh, and what is accepted and what is respectable and, and what a fan, how, how, how they define a family. And, you know, that's the constant reminder in the back of my head of like, Oh, like, it's just the girl crush. Like, you you don't really like females. You don't really like women. Um, What's your, like, <laughs> earliest memory of being attracted to a, a girl? Oh. I was six months old. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was definitely before the sixth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like I said, it's this this constant voice in the back of your head, like, oh, it's not real. Oh, it, yeah. that's not you're, like 
it's not you it's just a crush like you like them for who they are not because they're a female or whatever it is and um and suppressing that and suppressing it a lot actually um and it wasn't until I was in high school where, again, didn't come out, but was fully aware that I uh, that I I have had these feelings before, and um, <laughs> uh, I had a crush. On, um, I had a crush on one of my soccer teammates, and um, wow. Um, <laughs> Do you need a fan? <laughs> oh. Um, no, I w- let's just say that um, <laughs> we played a game that was dared to kiss me. Like, There's they- a bottle, and that bottle's fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't a bottle, but um, and they didn't do it, mm. and I was so upset about it, and I was like, I reflected on my ex- on like what happened, and I was like, why did I get so upset? Like, why, why was that the reaction I had to them not wanting to do this? And again, still didn't think that it was real, but knew that something was there. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until college where I was seeing this, this guy and he came to visit me at, at college and was telling me this story. It was like, like, so like this one time, this fag tried to grind up on me at the bar and I like stopped him dead in his tracks. And I was just like, why is that the word choice that you just decided to use? Mm. Um, and he was like, well, isn't that what he is kind mm. of thing? And I was just like, well, you know what? Like, I'm one of those fags you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> and I just, like, I went off and I just, I, like, that was my moment where I was like, wow, like, I, I, I fought so hard for, you know, in high school, I was a part of GSA as an ally, but I was like, like, why have I advocated so much for this? Like, why do I fight so hard for this? And it was like, well, duh you idiot like it's because you you are you know you're part of the community and you just didn't know it um so yeah that's kind of where my journey has led me can you talk a little bit about how it was coming into your parents you're like because i haven't yet i'm just kidding (laughs) but you just outed me (laughs) oh sorry excuse my language um um it was it was very difficult um i had a i was dating my ex-girlfriend at the time actually so i and she was moving back across the country so i was figuring out how to make this relationship work Mm -hmm. um so I, i literally went home to my mom and i'm like mom i have a girlfriend and she's moving across the country and i'm gonna figure out how to make it work and um she didn't take to it to it really well um but i think i think my coming out experience to her was a little easier because one of my other sisters had also come out as bisexual a few years prior okay um and not to speak to her experience but my mom basically my mom didn't respond well yeah so when i came out my mom went to her Mm. and she had my back you know she was advocating for me and um and i i attribute a lot of why it was easier for me because of my sister yeah um because you know i wouldn't have been able to do that I didn't even know that she was advocating for me until, you know, years later when we actually had this conversation. Um, but it, it sucks to know that her experience was completely different than mine. Yeah. Um, but what was unfortunate was, you know, she thought it was a phase. My mom thought it was a phase. My mom um, 
told me to keep it from my dad. Um, so that was very difficult to 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 kind of tiptoe around this. And it was like I had my ex girlfriend around. Um, your you friend. know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's what it was. She was my friend. My mom knew what was going on, but to everyone else who didn't know, it was just my friend. And um, and it wasn't until I I was dating my current girlfriend, where like we live across the country together, and my dad didn't really meet her when we were back on the East coast. So when he, when my parents came out to visit me here, <laughs> like, and this is the room that we share with one. <laughs> I, I just, you know, and, and I, my dad is smart enough to know that what was going on. It was just, I, I never, I, I'm never someone who I just want to go about things and not, and, and not have it be said. Mm. Right. Like, I I'm very straightforward. Um, so I just, you know, came out and told him, I was like, so, you know, she's my girlfriend. Right. <laughs> and I, and I said it just like that. I, I don't, we don't really have these like sit down, nice, you know, heartfelt conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I said that, you know, what did my dad do? bought a case of beer we sat down and we just talked oh i love that you know so that thanks mom (laughs) for doing this yeah yeah and and really that's what it was um but yeah i just and you know his response could have been better but sure but but, i'm sure it could have also been worse (laughs) absolutely absolutely um how about like people back in Vietnam? <clears throat> um, what's the what's so, the culture around queerness there? Can you talk a little bit about that? So I'm I can't speak to that very much because I I grew up here, yeah. so I don't have so much of a the personal experience of yeah the upbringing of being there and what it's like over time but i i haven't told most of my like aunt my aunt or my grandma or anyone on my dad's side really um but on my mom's side a few of my cousins um one of them actually i won't get into it too deep but came out to me Mm. Um, and she, you know, was like, she, she basically said it was like, so you, um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a lot like me, you're right? Like same, same. Or what? <laughs> no, but, and that, but, but that's what she said. She was like, so you're a lot like me. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? Like you? And she was like, you, you know, like, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yes. And, and we, you know, we. We got down to the point, obviously, and um, so she knew, and then her, her, so these are all sisters, the cousins that I've talked to, um, and the young, the one, the younger one, I, her and I are closer in age, so I was able to just talk to her about it, but then my, one of the older cousins, um, I, I just was like, Hey, I just want you to know I have a girlfriend. And she was like, you know, that's okay. You know, and you love who you love. And I wasn't expecting that response from her. Um, But, you know, she did share that, you know, she has friends who are identified as LGBT. um, And um, how she started to see more... um, more couples and you know people the society being more accepting of them getting married mm. and stuff like that so that make that warms my heart but i'm sure it's not where they want it to be and there's discrimination you know based on that but um yeah okay 
<laughs> Thank you for sharing your your journey. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm an open book at this point. <laughs> I know. I'm asking all the hard questions. You're welcome. Um, can you talk about intersectionality and what that means to you, in 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 a broader societal uh, standpoint, and for you and as yourself and in your own personal life and experience? Yeah. Um, in the broad scheme of things, like you can't look at someone and just say they are one thing. And and why is that? And it's not just like like I'm not just talking about race or ethnic background. I'm talking about like you know how they identify, like based on their religion, how they identify sex sexually, how they identify um, like SES and. Um, all those things defined a person and you, you can't talk about, like, we can't talk about oppression if we can't, if we don't talk about in what capacity in every way, right? And it, that looks differently for everyone, but someone experiences it, each person experiences it to an extent, right? Um, so when I think of intersectionality, I think of like, you have to look at someone or at whatever it is holistically, the whole picture and what is it that they are and how they identify and all of that. Because if you don't, then you're missing something about them. Mm. And I think for me, that was how I identified as being Vietnamese and black. Like, not having that black connection or and not and you know to bring it like not knowing who my grandfather was to feel this void of like I'm not whole mm. um so every time we talked about you know or anytime I've been in a discussion to talk about intersectionality it's like I know all of this about me but this yeah so can you quickly share what you do for a living and what you studied? Because um, it's going yeah. to my next question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just going to finish what my, my last point on like yeah, intersectionality. Yeah. No, it's okay. Um, I, I do want to share with everyone who's listening um, that um, as of recently, this year, actually, I... Um, my family and I did a DNA test, and we did find my grandfather. Um, and unfortunately, he passed 22 years ago. Um, we, we, we did find out who, where we come from. Um, and that is very um, filling. Um, and so, yeah. Do you, do you feel whole now? Um, to an extent. Um, I think what's hard is that um, his his kids um, haven't fully accepted that. Um, so, like, I have cousins out there. I have aunts out there. Um, but to know that they're kind of in denial of the fact that we're here. Um but, you know, I, we do have family, you know, the family that we did connect with um, has fully accepted us into the, into the family. Um, so that has, has, has filled the void that, and, and solved the mystery that we, you know, my, my family has had for so long. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So... T tell us what you do for a living. You just graduated recently from grad school. Yes. Yes. Um, after a long, <laughs> grueling three years, <laughs> um, I graduated with my master's in counseling, um, school-based school clinical counseling, um, and I work as a school counselor. So can you discuss or just touch on um, intersectionality and how that affects people? people's mental health yeah um well that i mean i'm really even thinking like 
of that of your words of not feeling whole, not feeling complete. Yeah. Or okay, so do you want to know like how how I take that and how I work with my kids? Or yeah, I mean, I think you you mentioned the school that you went to had a lot of teachers of color and how that made an impact on you, and you know that's definitely not a a privilege that a lot of kids have to see themselves growing up in these positions of power, essentially, right? So, um, that's one part of a question that you can certainly address, but I mean, it's, it's huge and so important to have that representation within schools too, so that kid, children of color can, can feel seen and understood and validated in that way. Okay. So I, I, didn't initially want to go in not okay I won't say that I didn't initially think that I would have gone into this field um I had a year of teaching experience after I graduated college and um I worked at a charter school um that was founded by my high school principal and founding teachers um and I was lucky enough to have my high school, my high school counselor um, also work there while I was there. Mm. And I was talking to him and I was like, I was thinking about going into social work. And he said to me, I, sorry, my dog is in the background. <laughs> he just had dinner and he's going off the wall. Um, but basically, my, my school counselor said, um, I think you have a really, you have the right attitude and personality. Again, I'm, I, I'm, I apologize um, for, for someone to be a school counselor. Um, and, and his reasoning was that our children, our students of color, need to see someone who looks like them. Someone who went through the same path that they did and is in a position to help them. Um, You know, and I'm very fortunate to work at a school where we, I believe, have the most diverse counseling staff in this district that is not typically known for that. Um, but I, you know, I had, I have one other coworker who is black and, um, I talk to him about, about all the time of how we look at our staff and it's him and I, and one other teacher that identify as black Mm. or African-American, you know, and I, I, I think about that all the time because we, we, you know, we talk about diversity and in a sense, San Diego is very diverse, right? You know, we have a lot of culture here. We have a lot of people from different backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. But when, you know, we talk about, I, at least for me, I don't see a lot of counselors who are black or Vietnamese or, you know, Asian for most, for most of the, for most of it. Um, so it's, how can I be there to support my students who identifies as one or the other, or for my students who identify as multiracial? Um, so I think a lot of a lot of what I do and why I'm in the position I am in is so that I can be that role model for my students so that they can see that they can do it as well. Um, yeah, I think that answers your question. Can you talk about the, the mental health aspect of how the, um, that feeling of, of not feeling whole affects kids growing up? Yeah, um, you know, not feeling whole, you know that there is this void in you and you often try to fill it with other things, 
right? And for some, they may assimilate to another culture, or a lot of the students may result to substances, or um, just just maybe they just then feel lost because they don't know how to identify. They don't know what makes them who they are. And if you feel that, like, I don't even know how I identify myself, how is it that I can, like, know my purpose in life? Or how is it that I can know what I, um, like, how is it that I, if I don't know who I am, how is it that I can know what I want to do in life and, and what my purpose is and, and all of that? Um, and, and that takes a toll on your mental health because if you're constantly asking yourself these questions, you, you know, it's, am I enough? Um, you know, an imposter syndrome is a deadly, uh, feat to defeat, you know, to get over because even though I can be as confident and proud of who I am, imposter syndrome, you know, plays such a big role in that too where it's that's the constant reminder of like well you're not enough or you may not know what you're doing or you know whatever capacity it is um so if i'm feeling that and i am as proud as i am and as where i am in life imagine how that feels for for a student who's just figuring out life and 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 all and at that young age yeah can you discuss a little, uh, and I don't know if, how much of this you know, but um, the impact of social media on, like, the kids growing up now in that feeling? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think in general, right? Like, I don't even want to place it on just kids, but with like the feeling of not having enough or not having what's best or not having the next coolest thing um is is a lot for for us when we grew up where social media was you go home on the computer but now <laughs> now you you have it at the palm of your hand where someone can expose you doing something or you can see someone doing something whatever within seconds um so I think I I think it's very detrimental to our our students, our kids' self esteem, um, because it's the constant reminder of like I need to do the I need to fit in. Mm-hmm. That that's what I'm I'm yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, I just the need to fit in. Assimilation part of like not feeling enough too is like I feel like so amplified mm-hmm. um, because it's in your face. The ideal is constantly going viral, constantly in your face, constantly set as than the norm and then you're like i'm none of those things <laughs> cool. uh-huh. well not like i i mean i struggle with it and like let's talk about fit in like fit in where like for those who may be multiracial if they if they want to fit into one if they want to fit into all of it they may not fully fit in right because you're not black enough you're not asian enough you're not x enough um and 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 as a society we have our own stereotypes and quote-unquote expectations of what it means to be black what it means to be white and asian and hispanic latino like so that's also something where like okay well i know i identify as this but i may not talk walk act that way then i may not be seen like i'm enough you know and that's a whole another conversation but (laughs) okay all right i have the last question uh what would you what would you tell a teen version of yourself or a younger version of yourself (laughs) you have practice (laughs) (laughs) um i would tell myself that i am enough um you know in in the journey of discovering who i am and and owning that and being proud of that um you know i am enough regardless of how i feel and how um 
you know, looking out and seeing that I may not do this, I may not do that, I may not act like this or speak this way or or have that or know this, um, that regardless of what it is that I, I, I am enough and I do contribute enough to feel that and to know that, you know, and to validate myself and to stop questioning myself and, and what I contribute to life and, and everything. Um, because at any point in your journey, you're going to have that feeling of, of doubt in yourself. Um, so just, just to have that, that reminder that, you know, regardless of what it is, I am loved and I am enough. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for for opening up and being vulnerable and sharing your whole story. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, I appreciate you and I love you. You're a fantastic person. You're one of my best friends. Um, And I love you forever. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah.